Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Are you a scholar, journalist, or writer focused on Palestine? Contribute to the foremost journal on the past, present, and future of Jerusalem. The Jerusalem Quarterly is soliciting articles for peer review, essays, and letters from Jerusalem. Send your work to jq at palestine-studies.org or see palestine-studies.org forward slash journals for more info. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the only podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. Your host, Roberto Matza, will bring you guests discussing their relationship with the Holy City. A journey through history, society, feelings, and hopes for the future. Follow the podcast on all social media platforms at Jerusalem Unplugged. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and today it's with great pleasure that my guest is Kate Ruhana. Kate is the founding director of Jerusalem Story. Better saying, JerusalemStory.com. This is a new website that aims at offering uh, and tell the story of Jerusalem through the less known lens of the Palestinian community of the city. Now, we're going to talk about uh, what's in the websites, the various categories that you can find. But let me say that I found amazing the fact that you can move from the stories of Jerusalem, but you can also find information about uh, who's who in Jerusalem today and in history. You can find uh, good definition about the lexicon, the key words in order to understand Jerusalem. And facts. Yes, we also need to talk about facts. Because whenever we talk about Jerusalem, facts can take a different kind of dimension depending who's talking about that. But before we talk about the website, first of all, Kate, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. So I want to ask you something uh, as a first question, uh, since you are the uh, founding director of Jerusalem Stories, if you can tell us something about your background, and why did you decide to start Jerusalem Story? Sure. Uh, so I'm actually an American. I'm 
born in the States of Irish and American origin. I was born and raised in New York City, and I became interested in the Middle East in high school by complete random chance. Um, I became very interested and started to travel there and do work on it. And I went on to do a BA in international relations and a master's in Middle Eastern studies. So in that context, I also studied the languages. Um, and then I got involved in some other research projects. Uh, at the end of the day, I ended up marrying a Palestinian who's a citizen of Israel. And um, over the many years that we've been married, for whatever various reasons, we have lived at, at different times in Jerusalem. So I've lived and worked in Jerusalem. Um, I was a journalist and a researcher. And this exposed me to um, the realities of the city from a Palestinian perspective, because of course, my husband being Palestinian, we were working in Palestinian circles, I was doing, you know, research and journalism on that angle of things. And it kind of got me really, really um, very interested in the city, because I think it's an exceptional city. Um, I mean, it's, it's exceptional in the sense that it has uh, dynamics and realities that are really uh, its history is unique, obviously, but also its current realities are very, very exceptional and exceptional in ways that I will uh, describe, I'm sure, shortly. So that's basically it. Um, I felt that they were critically important, that there are critically important stories to be told that are not getting enough attention in the larger world. And so I came up with the idea of for this project. So let me let me start with a, a statement, the one that I just mentioned earlier. Jerusalem's story aims to tell the story of a unique city through a new lens, that of the city's large and diverse indigenous Palestinian community. So let's start from this, uh, that you can find really in the opening page of uh, JerusalemStory.com. What is Jerusalem's story then? So Jerusalem's story is a project that was launched uh, officially in June of this year by the Arab Center for Research and Policy Studies in Doha, and uh, that aims to do exactly what you've said. It's to reveal the realities of Jerusalem, the lived experiences of a community that is close to half the city. Uh, that's the Palestinian community. Do you know that there are nearly nearly 400,000 Palestinians living in Jerusalem? This is uh, this actually is an undercount of the number, um, but that they're close to half of the city today. And beyond that, of course, there are many more Palestinians who live in areas outside the boundaries of the city, which Palestinians still consider to be part of Jerusalem. And of course, there are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of Palestinian Jerusalemites in exile who are banned uh, from, from returning by Israel. So this project aims to tell all of their stories, past and present, to understand the, the history of this community in the city and how what is their current lived reality under you know Israeli sovereignty in the, this city, Jerusalem, which is a, a world heritage site, but its um, its current realities are are very much different from what you might imagine. Let me ask something personal. You, you mentioned that you lived in Jerusalem, so I was wondering to what extent your experience of Jerusalem uh, is part of Jerusalem story, the website. Well, obviously, it does um, influence my perspective and the kinds of stories that I know where I know the stories are there because of my lived experience where somebody else coming 
who hadn't lived in the city might not know to look for them even, or might not know to to go shine a spotlight on them or to to even explore and try to uncover them, right? So I think that the fact that I've had firsthand experience living there, yes, it does. It does influence in a positive way, and I, I would say in a in a constructive and and good way, um, my ability to to direct this project and to um, to understand where are the places that you know we need to go and explore in order to tell the whole story that we're trying to pursue and tell. I'm curious about uh, the structure of the website, um, which is I must say for. The listeners that are not familiar with the website itself, that is very easy to navigate, and it's uh, you know a great uh, uh, sort of option in a sense that you sometimes you bump into websites and then it's hard to go around. Where, whereas Jerusalem Story, it gives you this sense where you can just browse different kind of sections, and they are very easy to access. So I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about the structure of a website and how stories are brought to the readers. Sure. So first thing we started off with, uh, I mean, the first thing we started off with is the understanding that the Jerusalem as a terrain, as a field, as a story, it's extremely complex. I mean, it's so complex that it's even taken us, our team, you know, we're still learning and we're still trying in order to be able to tell this story. It's like you have to know so many Byzantine <laughs> realities. It's like a big onion you have to peel back. So that's one thing we felt like it's very complicated, but we what we wanted to do was two things that, that sort of maybe contradictory things. We wanted to present the big picture, the whole picture, and not just the way the news is always telling you the picture of that moment, you know, that instant, and then it's gone and you don't see the whole bigger picture in which that moment fits. So that's one thing we were really uh, keen on doing. But at the same time, we wanted to make it accessible to people in a way that is uh, simpler and easier due to its complexity. Let's structure it simply. And I have to confess that I do have a background in instructional design, and maybe that informed a little bit um, how this website kind of got put together. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's why we organized it in there are sort of uh, we can talk about all the different types of sections, but the main thing is that we organized it by topics. And then within the topics, we have um, a landing page that makes it really easy to see what's in, what's sort of in every topic. And I think that um, maybe in some senses, this is a little artificial, like the realities aren't, you know, isolated, like the separation wall and the boundaries and the this and that they're all intermeshed. But if we can sort of deal with them, maybe separately as a, you know, as a, um, in, in writing and in researching about them, we can we can make it more accessible to people to understand each one separately, and then we can cross link them after. So that's how that's how the uh, the website structure was um, the basic design of it was was approached. Now I would say that the website has, as I mentioned, we have um, these different types of sections. Much of the content is organized in themes and topics. Themes are sort of the biggest organizing, and then within that we have topics. Within each topic, we present um, both the foundational research to anchor that topic in a comprehensive overview. But we also, we and because Jerusalem is so complex, we feel that's really necessary to have that baseline foundational research um, because you can't understand the, the personal story in full unless you sort of have read the basic foundational research. But at the same time, if you only read the research, then you're just getting the dry data and you're not seeing the real life, the actual lived experience of what does that mean in someone's life? What does that mean in someone's day to day? So um, in our topics, we do both those things. So around the foundational research, we present more journalistic content, such as personal stories, interviews, videos, graphics, and maps. Um, 
And then aside from the topics, which is the you know big, huge part of the website, we have some other sections. We have a blog that's called Jerusalem Notebook. And the idea here, again, is to share stories that don't necessarily fall into any clear topic, but all relate to the story of the community of Jerusalem, the past, present, and future. So there we have character profiles, book reviews, stories even about places or businesses, stories about the many different communities that uh, make up the Palestinian community, such as Armenians, Sikhs, Africans, etc. reports on events, some news reports, conversations, photo essays, and more. Um, so that is our blog, Jerusalem Notebook. In addition to the topics in the blog, we have a section, as you mentioned, on the bios of Jerusalemites or bios of Palestinian Jerusalemites more accurately. And here we do in-depth profiles of Palestinians who have made myriad and diverse contributions to uh, their community and its fabric, past, present, and future, and famous and obscure. And we sort of, over time, we're hoping this work is gonna help to create a kind of social history and it helps to amplify the stories that we're telling in our topics. So one really cool feature of our website is that we can, um, you know, uh, next to the text of a main story, we can put in the margin uh, another piece to kind of like link it. And so this is a classic example where you're telling a story about a period in history, but there's a person, a bio that you can put in the margin who who had a particular role in that history. And it kind of gets the reader to go, oh, I want to, you know, I want to see more about this person. And then they take a deeper dive. So that's, um, I mean, the bios we are one of our, it's really been so interesting to do them. We try to go deeper than your normal bio, not just a CV of someone's, you know, life achievements, but actually to look for um, their words and their, you know, their experiences and how did they cherish Jerusalem and how did they, how was that reflected in, in whatever their life achievements were? So it's a kind of a, a customized bio, if you will. In addition to the bios, we have an, um, organizational section, a section of Palestinian organizations that work uh, on Jerusalem in, in, on the ground. And too often we find that only the Israeli organizations that do this work get all the visibility. And we wanted to create a database for really anyone wishing to explore or contribute to the work being done by the other half of the city. So we have, I think, about 85 organizations there right now. And, you know, it's, it's just very cool. You can search by different topics. You can search by different locations relative to their place inside the boundaries or the wall um, and, and so on. So we hope that this will encourage people to really discover these organizations and network with them and, you know, get involved with them in, in whatever way. Um, so I'll stop there. And then I'm sure you want to talk about the lexicon next, but um, that's another section, but I'll stop and take a breath. Well, so let me ask something about, uh, the Jerusalem Notebook, because I was browsing the website and I got very curious about uh, a particular story, but I'm also interested in how stories are developed. So, for instance, there is a fascinating story about food. Uh, mm -hmm. So the, the, the article says in Sufism, food is a divine gift. And then this is the story of uh, Iseldin Bukhari. Um, and then obviously this, the article delves into the question of the uh, celebrating the heritage of a city through food. So I was wondering how... Uh, do these kind of stories come out and then they are translated into a real story that then is published uh, you know, through the website? Right, so that's uh, that's just it. We have a team on the ground. We have a team of um, 
I mean, it's in, in addition to me, there is a whole team behind you, some story, right? I should definitely mention that. Um, and some of those people are writers on the ground in, in the city. And they, you know, are always on the lookout and on the hunt for good stories. <laughs> um, and luckily for the project, they, they often sniff them out. So um, in this case, what we did was the writer who suggested the story went and did the interview. We had a photographer go along take some photos and um and then it just we develop it into this kind of a story um weaving the the words as as any other story would be developed you know you weave the words of the person that you're that you spoke with with information about the work that they're doing from whatever sources their website and so on and there you go you get um, what you what I'm glad to hear you found to be an enjoyable and interesting story it was indeed. I mean, I'm always fascinated by stories about food. I mm -hmm. guess it's a particular fascination of mine. But I also believe that food actually explains a lot about societies and relationship between people. And so uh, I was just drawn, I guess, uh, as soon as I saw the title about uh, food, I'm like, okay, I need to read the story and see uh, who's behind the story. Uh, but it's, it's interesting that you mentioned you have a team on the ground. So can you give us a sense of uh, who are the people uh, on the ground and uh, what kind of stories they're looking for? So they're, um, they are people who are of and from this. I mean, okay, we have a team that's global, so it's not, not everybody's on the ground, right? We have a team of 12 people that work on this project and some of them are located in different countries, but of the people that work in Jerusalem, they are of and from Jerusalem. They are Palestinians whose family have been centuries in the city and they know it inside out and they, they really, you know, know every nook and cranny of it. So they, um, and of course they, they know what is, and they're fully on board with the mission of the project, which is to tell the story of the Palestinian community of Jerusalem. So they just, you know, go about and uh, try to, through word of mouth or through their networks, or sometimes, you know, there'll be some story that comes from outside and we say to them, hey, go check this out. You know, what about this? So it goes both ways um, as any other journalistic endeavor, really. Can you tell us something about, uh, and I'm sure you bump into some difficulties in uh, working out the website, but also thinking about the stories that are told through the website. You know, any kind of uh, difficulty, given that essentially we're talking about Jerusalem and by experience, nothing is easy about Jerusalem. That's true. That's true. But actually, you know, I'd be really, I'm really uh, reflecting back and thinking that we actually haven't had those kind of problems we've had more the opposite response that people are so excited i mean because we're covering a community that feels invisibilized and not heard and marginalized and 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 in the process of being erased people are actually usually very excited to 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 speak with us and they're thrilled to have you know this chance to tell their story so we um we haven't had those kind of difficulties of people that we approach you know, within the context and framework of this project, not wanting to be part of it. That that we haven't had. Well, that's good to for hear. For the most part, yeah, for the most part that I can recall. It's not only good to hear, and I think you just mentioned something very important, which is about uh, uh, the willingness of, of uh, the local people to bring about their stories because they are essentially on the brink of annihilation and, you know, removal. So I think this is yes. an important element to remember. Which brings me to the question of lexicon. So wait, wait, wait. Before before we get there, I just want to make one very critical point that I don't want to um, 
overlook, which is that in what you said, people are excited to tell their stories, but people are also afraid. So this is a point that we have to really stress. If anybody refuses or declines, it's because they're afraid. And the fear factor, it's not that they don't want to, it's that they're afraid of the of the authorities in the city because they're living in a condition of a surveillance state. And, you know, we really ought to... Um, uh, mentioned the fact that Palestinian community of Jerusalem are largely living with the legal status of permanent residents, permanent residents, which is the status that Israel, you know, uh, agreed to give them in uh, 1967 when it when it occupied the eastern side of the city. This is a status that is extremely precarious. It's the status you would normally give to um, to foreigners arriving in your country, not to people that were indigenous or that lived there. It's a status that is revocable. Um, and Israel has made it increasingly, increasingly more precarious. In other words, it can be revoked on, you know, the flimsiest of pretexts or the, for, the, for the reasons, for example, um, Israel, Palestinians who are living in Jerusalem and who have this permanent residency status, they are obliged by Israeli law to continually prove that the center of their life is in Israel. And that means that they have to present copious documentation, like an insane amount of documentation, their water bills, their children's school report cards, their this and that. Every time they interact with the Ministry of Interior for any request, they must prove that the center of their life is in Israel. And if they fail to prove that, or if the authorities think that they have failed to prove that, their status can be revoked, which means that they have literally no legal status because they become stateless. So Palestinians, you know, who are living under this, under this, uh, government or this uh, country's rule in Jerusalem, they are very, very scared. And because anytime they could open their mouth and say the wrong thing, it could be held against them. And then they could show up at the ministry and be told your residency has been revoked. So it's not really correct for me to say that. I mean, people always want to talk to us, but they might, they might, or they have been in time scared. They get scared to be photographed. They don't want to be visible. They don't want, because they're so afraid of the consequences. And therefore, what, one thing you might notice on our website is that we have this graphic, uh, sort of a beige graphic of two heads, you know, beautifully sketched and stuff. Um, and that symbolizes or represents that that story is being told anonymously. So, you know, a lot of times the only condition under which people who live in Jerusalem with this status will agree to talk to us is anonymously. And I think that that's just really something important to understand how much fear is prevalent because the the city is looking at erasing this community and they are terrified of being, you know, kicked out. So, I think that's just an important point to underscore. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And I'm thankful because you mentioned uh, the question of a uh, blue ID, which is essentially what you just described, this uh, uh, very unusual document and uh, unique in a sense that gives uh, Palestinians in Jerusalem residency, but not citizenship. And with all sorts of limitations. This is a topic I discussed with a number of guests, but I'm always happy to, to open and discuss because I think in general, there's very, uh, there's very little knowledge about a, the exact condition of Jerusalemites uh, of Palestinian Jerusalemites in Jerusalem. The tendency is, uh, particularly in America, is to think that, well, because they're in Jerusalem, there are Jerusalemites with the same rights as uh, all of the others, but that's absolutely not true. Exactly. Uh, I wanted to ask you something about lexicon. Um, again, you know, you have this section on the website, which I found very interesting. Um, Jerusalem has uh, its own lexicon, it can be religious, can be political. Obviously, you know, there are certain words that defines Jerusalem from the holy places to the Aram al-Sharif, the Western Wall, or, you know, a church. But there are also loaded terms, uh, like the word apartheid, which I noticed it's in, uh, in the lexicon section. So I was wondering, what were the difficulties in uh, building up this lexicon and how you dealt with uh, the problems that some of these words may create or, you know, given their, their definition? Well, we do have a content team and we do things as a team and we, this is uh, something that we approached as a collaborative effort and, you know, really respecting the people who live there and also, um, I mean, really trying to, first of all, let me just back up a second and say, the reason we introduced the lexicon and what it is, is basically it's a glossary. And every time this term is used in an article, it's hyperlinked. So the reader can immediately click and see the definition. And um, the reason that we structured it like that was because this is, a, as we said, it's a very, very complex story. And it has a whole range of technical terms that are actually, you know, specific to Jerusalem in a weird way, or they're specific to, you know, this area. Um, and without really understanding what those terms mean, you wouldn't really understand the story. Um, so, so structurally, that's what it what the lexicon is. It's an interlinked um, uh, set of terms that helps the reader. It also helps us because we don't have to be constantly redefining every time we tell the story. So we didn't want to be constantly saying it's this and this and this and this. You know, one time definition, you get it in one place and then you link it. So that's the practical angle of it. As far as the the difficulties, we we you know we have a team working on these terms. We we really rely on you know uh, our own expertise and definitions that are out there in the world. We try to be as rigorous and scholarly as possible um, in coming up with these definitions. Um, and so 
it really hasn't been that hard. It's very clear. It's somehow clear when you're working on editing a story, which term might be confusing or to somebody who has we always try to write and thinking of the person that doesn't know anything like I think that's a really important um aspect of this is don't write for the person that already knows write for the person that is coming into this with with nothing right so so it's it's usually pretty clear which terms you know you get flagged for this should be a glossary term sometimes we have debate over that even among our team like oh this doesn't belong in the glossary or it does but we always resolve it very amicably because we're you know a very collaborative team um, and then what I wanted to mention about the lexicon is that we actually have different types of reasons for putting a term into the lexicon. You know, in some cases, there are terms that are have um, Arabic or English or even Hebrew, you know, kind of like equivalents. And people that normally hear it in one group might not understand the the linguistic equivalent in another. So for example, like Damascus gate is the English usage of the term for the main gate that goes into the new city, into the old city, the the ancient, you know, gate. And then in Arabic, they call it Bab Lamud. So, so we tried in, in our glossary to just, you know, create clarity around those, those different namings of things. That's just one type of lexicon. The other one is, uh, another one would be nuances of usage and interpretation that actually have political significance. Um, and this is something, part of the reason we established the lexicon in the first place was to reflect these type of nuances. So for example, um, you know, Israelis, there is this huge wall that was built in Jerusalem, right, by Israel. And uh, Israelis call it very consciously and very deliberately, they call it the separation barrier. And that term connotes, you know, a barrier between us and the heathen hordes that are trying to attack us. It's a, it's a defensive barrier, therefore justified in a security basis. Palestinians find this to be very, very objectionable because they see the wall as being, you know, sort of de designed to fragment them and, you know, separate them and create conditions of apartheid on them or whatever. So, so for them that they would never uh, use that term separation barrier because they don't accept that, you know, they are a threat. They, it's just very interesting, these language and terminology, even in, even in, you know, in everything about this is loaded. So, so when we um, define that term, we might, you know, include some of those nuances in the definition so that people understand, you know, the kind of the background to it. Um, and then, of course, we have technical terms, there are, there are plenty of technical terms in this arena that, you know, people just would have no idea, like area A, B and C, um, which is a heritage of the Oslo Accords, and you know certain area, the area outside the city, which is still considered Jerusalem by Palestinians, was divided into areas A, B, and C. Each of them having different types of um, uh, rules governing who can operate there, and and so on and so forth. I don't want to get into all that detail, but it's um, or or the term Kogat, for example, which is the acronym for the um, authority, the Israeli uh, military authority that has been has been authorized by the ministry of within the ministry of defense to rule over the occupied west bank so it's just like and and all of these terms are things that you know palestinians in the city have to live with and swim with all the time and you know that's that's just the way it is but somebody from outside would would have no clue and they wouldn't be able to understand it so we really um that's why we created this lexicon to give all these different types of background um shadings and help readers to to really understand what they're what they're reading about and I really want to pick up on what you just said about, you know, people outside Jerusalem. Um, 
lexicon is about knowledge so that you provide information about key terms. Mm-hmm. And stories, we may say, are about uh, empathy, connect people. So I was wondering, what do you think people outside Jerusalem do not know about the city and they should know? Yes, well, uh, a lot. <laughs> That's why we're doing our project. But I, I think what people outside Jerusalem should know is that it is not a city of peace as it's you know known to be or a holy city or all of those kind of like very um, beautiful adjectives. It's actually a very dystopian city that's being remade in a forceful and violent way that excludes an entire people who's been rooted in this city for centuries. And all the policies derive from demographic imperatives. Um, in fact, the Israeli municipality and the government are obsessed with demography and with maintaining a demographic ratio that can guarantee their their control of the city in perpetuity. And you know, it's really not an exaggeration, it's just reality. So the ratio, which was de- decided upon in 1973 by a government committee called the Gaffney Committee, is 26.5% Arab to 73.5% Jewish. And the entire ruling class is obsessed with this percentage and business and everything, every policy in the city is derivative of it. So that is very dystopian. You know, think about urban planning based on, you know, maintaining a percentage and the 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 mentality leads to policies that deliberately try to reduce the number or the percentage of one people in the city, despite whatever realities on the ground may be happening, like birth rate or, you know, immigration, emigration, whatever it is. It's just like it's just like this is what must be. So it leads to a situation such as what we saw even just this month, if you can believe it, the deputy mayor of Jerusalem posted on his own Facebook page an endorsement an endorsement of a new initiative being started by a Jewish Zionist philanthropist outside the country to pay Arabs to leave the country. He literally was saying, we need to pay Arabs to leave the country. Um, and of course, in the process, they were supposed to sur- surrender their legal status so that they couldn't return. And he literally said, this is the deputy mayor of the city, right? As quoted in the Israeli newspaper Haaretz, he said, quote, if we'll manage to get a quarter or half a million Arabic speakers out of the country, that will be enough. So so tell me, you know, can you imagine in any other city in the world if those words were uttered by a deputy mayor, by the way, whose appointment was made with the blessing and full support of the actual mayor, what would be the reaction? So these are the type of realities that I think that people outside the city, you know, do not understand or not aware of today. This was a very interesting example, and one of which that it would be happening in any other place in Europe or in America certainly would have drawn like a lot of attention. But you're exactly. right, exactly, exactly. It doesn't outside Israel. And I just want to add a kind of like a follow up question because obviously Israel went to the ballot just a few weeks ago, yeah. and the results were kind of uh, sad in a sense. I, 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 <laughs> yes, I'm struggling I to find a, a word. <laughs> Yeah. What is interesting, but also very problematic for Jerusalem, is that now what these elections have set in motion is all of these uh, uh, right-wing groups, um, ultranationalist, religious ultranationalists, and now are claiming ownership of a city, in particular claiming ownership over uh, holy places traditionally owned by Islamic organizations, you know, starting from the Arama Sharif, but that's not the only one. And right. I was wondering, from your own perspective, and, you know, with the knowledge that you have, and also with your team around the Jerusalem story, do you have a sense of where this might uh, go? Well, I don't 
like to share. I mean, like, in other words, it's not going to any place good. Let's just say that. Um, it's very, very dangerous and it's very concerning and it's very much actively happening on the ground every day, every single day as we speak, this is happening. Uh, you know, um, with respect to the holy places, there is a historic status quo that has been respected and preserved and for centuries. And um, now the goal of the power of the parties who have been elected is to transform that. And it is it's simply just going to cause, you know, additional uh conflagration violence and and um i mean i don't even want to speculate it's just it's 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 not going anywhere good that's all i'll say i share with you uh the same views let me go back to um to the stories and i want to ask you something about uh, the contents on the website so mm -hmm. amongst the stories available at jerusalemstory.com is there anyone or more that has somehow struck a chord with you and you want to share with us. So now are you asking me to play favorites? I mean, there's so many. I, I love every story, obviously. Uh, it's, you know, it, everyone is, is, is special in its own way. I think, I think that there are many um, and it's hard, it's hard to pick one or the other. Um, I guess I would maybe point to topics um, just, you know, in a hard choice among many that are really excellent candidates, I think um, we did some really excellent work on two topics that are not normally um, ever covered. And that one of those topics is the closure. Um, closure is this system that Israel introduced um, that basically it's a closure on a whole people. It's very weird. It's um. It's a closure on any PA, any person carrying a PA ID, a Palestinian Authority ID that lives outside the boundaries of Jerusalem. And it basically means that millions of Palestinians who live in the West Bank or Gaza or, or even outside cannot enter the city. They cannot enter Jerusalem freely. They have to have um, a permit from the military authorities. And, um, you know, I don't want to go into all the complexity of, of this topic. It's really fascinating to me and, um, and amazing. In a way, it's, 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 it's just amazing that this closure has been in place since 1991 and nobody even remembers it anymore, says boo about it. It's become so normal that it seems like the norm. But I remember a period uh, where where you could just drive from Ramallah to Jerusalem in in fifteen minutes or twenty minutes, and it was it was nothing. It was one big it's one big, you know, interlinked uh, region that everything Jerusalem was the heart of all the Palestinian West Bank. Everybody would go there all the time for commerce, for religion, for medicine, for everything. So this closure is extremely, it's extremely artificial. But what's happened is, you know, it's been in place since 1991. In Well, of course, it's evolved. So 1991 was the beginning, and it was a sort of soft beginning. And then, you know, it got more and more and more severe until there was actually building the wall in 2000. And now, literally, you have generations of Palestinians who were, who may have been from Jerusalem. They might, their parents and family might be from Jerusalem. They might have every history in the city, but because they carry this particular ID that, you know, the Palestinian Authority ID, they can no longer access their city at all without this permission, uh, the permit. And the entry permit, you know, requires you to go to uh, a military authority and apply. It takes weeks. And then, you know, it comes back and you're given permission to enter some specific zone for some specific hour. Like, you know, you can go to a medical appointment for three hours. And if the medical appointment takes longer than that, you're out of luck. Sorry, you can be 
you know, you just can't, you can be arrested, right? So I think the whole structure of closure and how it is demographically re-engineered the city in one fell swoop is 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 a hugely important story. Um, generations of Palestinians are growing up uh, who should be entitled to the heritage of this city and they are it's for them it's like a foreign country they don't even they don't they've never been there they don't have any it's very alien to them because they they can't easily go there so closure the other aspect of closure that i would mention is that israel has the capacity to blacklist people um you know 500,000 palestinians with paids are blacklisted in the system which means they can never enter jerusalem sometimes for their entire life like that and literally to be blacklisted is takes nothing if your neighbor could complain about you you could have a traffic ticket you could have whatever it's just a check in this in the computer system and once somebody makes it against you you're out of luck you can no longer go to jerusalem and i'm not kidding you that 500,000 palestinians at minimum, this is maybe an underestimate, are blacklisted today. Um, and that might be a status that they would have to live with for 99 years for their whole life. So these are draconian systems that are uh, extreme. And I really think this the topic of closure is one that we did extremely good work on. And I would encourage everybody to learn more about it. The other topic that I think that we uniquely dove into um, in you in know in a in a way that's very important is the West Side story. What does the West Side story mean? So Jerusalem is divided between West and East. I mean, I said it's complicated, and here we go. So West Jerusalem was um, was the part of uh, Jerusalem that Israel conquered and declared as its uh, part of its state in 1948, um, and then uh, 19 years later in 1967 they conquered. And, the, and occupied the rest of the city, which is the East Jerusalem. Now, everybody focuses on, you know, the story of East Jerusalem since 1967 as being the problematic one, as if what happened in 48 was just, you know, nothing or was just sort of normal or was just part of, you know, it's just normally part of Israel and that's how it's always been. And that's, you know, there's no questions asked. But actually the reality, as we've documented very, you know, well on our website uh, with stories and stories and stories um, and a lot of research is that the conquest of West Jerusalem in 1948 was extremely violent. It involved a full ethnic cleansing. 73,000 Palestinians were either driven out or, you know, expelled uh, or, or chose to leave for temporary safety, but they were never allowed to come back because Israel put in place immediately laws that, you know, stripped them of their citizenship, banned them from coming back and expropriated all their properties, including all their financial assets. So this is in a very, 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 you know, major story uh, that I think kind of got lost in the shuffle um, with all the focus on East Jerusalem since 67. So I would say, you know, I mean, if I, it's not a choice, it's just I'm spotlighting these two topics as being something that I think where we did some really important original work. And um, I encourage everybody to explore those topics, but all topics on the website, not only those. I shouldn't have asked about your favorite, but I must say that I was going to ask you about the West Side Story. And I, you know, please <laughs> that you talked about it. Perhaps I can make a suggestion. There's one category that is missing in the website, and it's the Cats of Jerusalem. The which? And the Cats of Jerusalem. Ah, the Cats a, of Jerusalem. Their own yes. story. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. There, there are so many cats in Jerusalem. That's true. <laughs> Let me ask a question. Uh, how do you see the future of JerusalemStory.com? So the situation on the ground in Jerusalem is very dire. It's very dire, and we must meet the moment and continue to bear witness and document it. Um, the stories are literally endless. 
So we hope to grow this effort, both in the scope of what we cover, but also in the audiences that we reach and the impact that we have. We also hope to add other types of content in the future. We're working on you know, original videos, and we hope to add a podcast such as this one. Um, and we just hope to uh, also, there is um, something that we've built into the website, which would help us to create a almost like a research library uh, with all kinds of articles about this community and its story. That's these are all future um, future endeavors that we hope to you know uh, nurture and bring to fruition as we continue our very very what I think is very very important work. I have one more question. Is there anything that we didn't discuss about Jerusalem's story that you want to talk about? You know, I think we covered a lot of ground. Of course, there's always more to cover. <laughs> but I, I would say that um, I think for now, we we did a pretty good job of, of covering a lot of the key points. So I'm very grateful to you for uh, having me today. This was Kate Ruhana, founding director of Jerusalem Story. Jerusalem Story can be found at JerusalemStory.com and I will post the link on the website. Kate, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Jerusalem Unplugged. Thanks and I'll see you next time. 